giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we're checking back in with Courtney and Ty Caldwell, the founders of Shearshare. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We're having too much <laughs> How fun, y'all. How are you y'all. doing today? <laughs> we're good. Today's a good day. You know, every day is better than the day before. So we're, we're feeling pretty good. I have to always set that positive reset. <laughs> I was about to say that that's a very positive statement. It's what I expect from talking to the two of you over these last few months. <laughs> it doesn't come easy. I will say that because every day comes with its own set of new challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to mentally think about positive resetting uh, in the next 24 going into, you know, it's just something that we just tell ourselves. For sure. Yeah, I I felt it for myself. I I hear it from a lot of founders that being able to reset, being able to, some people call it grit, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what happened yesterday to get up and try it again. Yeah. I remember listening to um, a TED talk by a brain surgeon. She said this one thing that has always stuck with me since. She said, you know, the brain doesn't know the difference between a truth and a lie. And so what we tell ourselves every day is most likely what's going to show up at the end of the day. And so if you get up and start to tell yourself, oh, woe is me, the sky is falling, it's doomsday all over again, you know, you're probably going to experience a little bit of a Groundhog's Day. But Mm. if you get up and say, hey, you know what, I'm determined to make sure that the days ahead are greater than the days behind, most likely by the time you, you know, put your head on that pillow at night, that's probably what you've experienced in the last 24 hours. And having been doing this for 17 years now, mm. I think one of the only reasons why I've lasted is is my ability to face each day as a new day and yeah. realize I get another chance at it or not get hung up on, on the bad things that happened previously. Good for you. There are downsides to it, too, is like I don't necessarily recognize the successes either mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm like <laughs> on to the next thing already when we've yeah. had a success. Yeah, that's probably my downfall. I I would definitely say that's probably my downfall. And, you know, sometimes we don't celebrate those small wins. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to do them because, you know, even when you reach that that goal, you're on Mm -hmm. to the next one. So it's almost like this is what I wanted to do. I accomplished it, but I wanted to get farther. And it's always like more, more, Mm -hmm. more. And Mm -hmm. it's multiplied even every time you reach Mm -hmm. a certain goal. And we never say we never hit that stop point to say, you know what? I made it. Pat yourself on the back, and that gives you a lot more energy to go forward to reach the next successful goal. Yeah. It's just like in sales, like, you know, the quarter behind you doesn't matter. Like, you have to finish, wrap up that 90 days, and then hit the goals for the next quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the grind, uh, it's definitely sales, right? Um, <laughs> before she or shared, would either of you have labeled yourself as doing sales or being a salesperson? No. And do you now? I've always kind of been a salesperson because yeah, I've been in the you. industry for so long. So I've always had to sell myself mm-hmm. just as a salesperson, no quasi salesperson, because that's just who we are as individuals. Yes. So I feel like if I if I'm doing something I passionately love and something that I know I can help someone understand, educate and also possibly win them over by selling them something. I, I feel like, yeah, that's a part of me. 
not innately as a salesperson, but it's a part of me. Mm -hmm. And I would answer that question with an emphatic no. I've never um, <laughs> looked at myself as a salesperson, never thought of oh, this is definitely the the track that I want to take in my career. I was always the marketeer, you know, the person who supported the sales team, the person who delivered those um, sales qualified leads, right, to help them, you know, get through the demand gen funnel faster. But after this, I mean, I, I think as an entrepreneur, you, you have to be part of sales because you're constantly selling either to your user base. So we're selling to stylists or to the salon and barbershop owner, or you're selling to investors, you know, with pitches and pitch decks, or you're selling to new hires, right? Trying to get new people to come on board and kind of take this crazy journey with you. So you're constantly selling is, is something I've, I've felt that I've had to learn over these last few years. That's a crock, y'all. That's a crock. <laughs> talking, about the woman, talking about the woman who is the pitch Oh, we got queen. a fact check. Yeah, I know. Talk, what is this? Talking about the woman who's the pitch queen for Share Share. Uh, in order to do a fabulous pitch like she has, you're, you're a salesperson. It may not be innately, but you're a salesperson. So, Courtney, she doesn't say that label uh -huh. herself as a salesperson, but, you know, offset amongst other things, she has been awesomely great at being a salesperson. No, I, I'm going to say that it's because I went to all those Toastmaster meetings with you back yeah, in the day. That might be it. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> I, I really don't see presentations as sales, but like I said, you know, once you jump into this thing called entrepreneurship, you are definitely a hundred percent selling all the time. So imagine me being at Toastmasters guys and she has her computer and they're doing work and she's just there as company, but she's <laughs> taking in all that energy. And so it's just jumping on her. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, I think you both touched on an interesting element of this bigger thing we call sales, which is it takes a lot of different forms. Mm -hmm. And maybe we immediately jump to, you know, oh, sales, salesperson, I have an idea of like what that person does from nine to five and mm -hmm. what they're responsible for. But as you talked about, especially as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you're doing all kinds of sales. You're selling oh, yeah. to investors. You're selling to partners. You're you're selling the dream. Mm -hmm. yep. Holistically, yes, we are in so many you know different emphatic ways. We are, and I think that when we really look at it from a grand scheme of just giving this thing a bird's eye view, we are selling, and in so many ways, if we're not selling, we're marketing. So that's a form of selling in itself. Yeah, and, and if I think back to my days before. Sheer share. You know, I, I was within many organizations that were always trying to figure out, does this fall into the sales realm or does this fall into the marketing realm? Like where should the SDR team sit, like the sales development reps, where should they sit? Sometimes they sat in sales, sometimes they sat in marketing. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, the lines cross you know, so much. But at the end of the day, yes, yeah, sales is the one who kind of pushes that dollar sign across the finish line with a lot of help from marketing. Do you think you can be a successful entrepreneur without sales skills? Uh, I don't think you can be totally successful. I think that you could be somewhat of a success, but mm. you have to make people believe in what you're selling. Yeah. And you have to be able to know by educating people on what it is you're selling. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know how to do that. I recently did a podcast telling people you know how to brand themselves. You know, essentially in this industry, mm -hmm. you yeah. are personally a brand. And yeah. if you are not driving great results, you will not have people talking about you because that's one of the ways that, that people are going to know who you are. People need to talk about you. So if I if I talk to one of you about what ShareShare is and how we can help your business, you're going to share that if, I, if I've educated you and shared great information and content 
based on what you feel like Share Share is, if I've you know shared that with you very, very well. And I think that most people don't get it that if you can't speak about your business, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. Honestly, babe, one thing I've learned just by watching you or like the soft skills that it takes to also be a quote unquote saleswoman or salesman, right? The ability to walk into a room and read the room, the ability to feel the energy, right? Of people like, do I need to, you know, increase my inflection points here or do I need to smile more? You know, how do I get a response or reaction out of the people I'm, I'm talking to in the audience? And then also being able to ask for the clothes. Like, I think so many people forget to do that. And you can take, you know, hundreds of sales classes, right? You know, step one is this, step two is this, but if if you don't have that kind of persona, um, and it doesn't have to be a big personality, it just has to be some type of personality because people want to do business with people they like. But you also have to remember at the end of the day, you have to go in and, and ask for the clothes. You have to have that energy. You have mm-hmm. People have to feel the personality. It has to exude off of you. And if it's permeating the right way, people are going to know this person has good energy. I want to listen to what they got to say. You've grabbed their attention. And that's something that I feel like I've been able to do but I've also been a social person. It's, it's pretty much yeah. how you were raised as well. You know, if you're the type of person that sits in your room, play video games, you're going to be a little bit distant in your social skills. So being socially aware, just that little pinpoint is going to help you when it comes to selling because you know how to speak adequately and concisely to people about what it is that you're selling. Mm-hmm. And, and different industries respond differently too, right? Like, I kind of grew up in B2B technology marketing. So the oracles of the world, the right now technologies of the world. I even worked in full-time ministry for several years. But I think about when we first started with Sheer Share, and you're going to laugh at this. When I first started calling salon and barbershop owners to see if they would be interested, I can't tell you how many times I got hung up on. And, you know, I, I have my script ready, you know, because I had written scripts for sales teams before. I knew the steps that it was going to take. I hadn't sat on sales, you know, personally, but I had done enough work to know, okay, this is what a sales playlist or tactics list looks like. So I'm just going to kind of recreate that and just go hit the beauty and barbering industry. And absolutely not. She I, came in with a corporate uh, mindset. Yeah. To individuals who are artistic, yeah. and I told her, I said, "Tell me what you're saying to them." It was horrible, and we kind of we kind of played it. I had her. I went outside. She called my cell phone. I said, "Tell me what you're telling." Them. I said, "I hung up on her too." Said, <laughs> he did. No lie. I, my own husband. Hung I was up like, on I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, no one wants to hear that. That just sounds like robotic. You sound very nice. You sound very professional. But, you know, you're not inflecting on how you can help them. You're just pretty much, it seems like you're reading off of something. It has to feel natural. Yeah. Say what you're going to say. Expect a response. Then you know where the, you kind of understand the, the temperature of where they're at. They could be busy. Mm-hmm. It, it, and we looked at certain things. It could be a certain day. It could mm-hmm. be a certain time. Yeah. And it could yes. be prior to lunch or after lunch. Yep. You really have to catch them. It could be before the busy time hits. It could be after five o'clock. It all depends on how you're talking to them and where they're at. So I had to kind of school her based on all my years of experience, what it, mm-hmm. what certain days look like, what certain times were busy in the day, and what it looked like from a perspective of people not looking at a computer screen because we work through our phones. So we had to right. create so much data from ourselves, from me being in the industry, and then we had to kind of go in now and approach it totally different. But she came mm-hmm. at it from a corporate mindset. I did. And I said, these are individuals. These people are normal, everyday working people. They're artistic. Mm-hmm. They don't have a whole lot of time to be listening to that jargon. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm going to set up my schedule like this. Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to go in and research and figure out, you know, who from Yelp or who 
from Yahoo or who from Google is one of the best, you know, salons in that particular region or city. Then I'm going to create my list, you know, fine tune my script and I'm going to start hitting the phones hard at the end of day, Thursday, Friday, going into even Saturday. Why would I think that it was smart to call a salon on a Friday, Saturday? (laughs) I don't even know why that idea crossed my mind, but I had to immediately flip it on its head and say, oh yeah, like, duh, Courtney, you guys own a salon. When can people get your time? Oh, well, Ty's office day is usually Mondays and Tuesdays. So we have to flip it on its head. We have to say, end of the week, more people, less time. Beginning of the week, more time, less people, and kind of gauge the the conversation that way. Conversations that way. Quality over quantity. Yeah. So are you still leveraging cold calling as part of your techniques? We do. We do, Mm -hmm. especially when we see interest from a certain city Mm -hmm. that we're not really focusing on. It gives us the opportunity now to reach out in that city, not so much as that particular state, but just that city and that state. And we know now this is where we can start, you know, planting seeds. Yeah. And is it the two of you who are doing it or Courtney, are you still doing it? Mm-mm, no, I, I, got, I, got, I got kicked in the teeth too many times. No, no that, that, that wouldn't make me stop. But I, I took all those blood, sweat, and tears and yeah. put that in learnings for, for our team members who do a much more effective job than I ever could. So you have you have people on your team that are doing that now. Is that all they do or is that a part of what they oh, do? Oh, no. That, that's just a part. For the mm-hmm. most part, we, we handle the inbound. We have about 500 cities still that people have requested that Shearshare does not have a, a host salon or a host barbershop in today. Um, and that number continues to grow. And you would think that, you know, if we covered the large metropolitan areas like the Dallas, Texas, Chicago. or Chicago's, the Atlanta. New York's, the Atlanta, Georgia's, exactly, the Los Angeles areas, that, you know, we'd be pretty good. But no, there are people who call in and say, Hey, I need you guys to be in. Give me an example. Uh, McKinney, Texas. McKinney, Texas. Uh, Anna. Yeah, Pembroke Pines, Florida. You know, someplace like that, that is, you know, smaller than a metropolitan area. And so uh, we learn very quickly that, you know, not only do we have to do inbound, but outbound is pretty crucial. As long as we're consistently gathering data and we're letting that data um, show us which direction we take next, we're always going to win. And so who would you say is responsible for revenue at ShareShare? Uh, we actually tell our team that everyone is mm-hmm. responsible for revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think we can do that because we have such a small team. We're very all committed to uh, making sure that we're servicing the community that we do serve very well. So if it's an engineer who needs to come up with an idea on how to better enable in-app messaging or be able to help the stylist transact faster on the team, or if it's design who's looking at how to increase the booking flow, or if it's uh, someone on our host onboarding and customer support team who's looking at the forms online. I mean, everybody has a play. Everybody has KPIs are trying to hit. Everybody has leading indicators and lagging indicators that they're constantly looking at to make sure that everybody is driving towards more bookings, more revenue, more exposure for the brand. It's, a, it's almost like building a house or, or a farm approach. You know, there are so many different team players that uh, contribute mm-hmm. and one person can send the lead, other person pull them in, you know, that triggers down someone to market for them, someone speaking on their behalf. We've yeah. done so much manual work that, you know, we understand that it takes everybody uh, as a team to, to get that one sale through. And once we do that, if we do it the right way, which is really the people way, just speaking to them, you know, giving them the quality information, giving them the customer service that they need, responding to them in a great time, mm-hmm. those things are going to be key. And I think that that's what 
people in digital now, social media, I think that that's what's hurting the people to people, you know, back and forth is that we expect everything to be done just by digital. And it still takes that people approach, you know what I'm saying, that you can kind of gauge and people don't want to feel like they're just a part. They want to feel special. Mm -hmm. And we want to give them that glove service, you know, whether it be white or brown glove service, we want to make sure we give them (laughs) that touch. And if it's something that we do well, that's what they're going to remember. That's right. Have you mapped out your sales process? Do you have an idea of how many conversations or how long it's taking you to convert someone? Yeah, we try to do that by city or by metropolitan area, I should say. We used to try to do it by state, but even the different regions respond so differently. Yeah, still data we're collecting. Yeah, it's it's constantly changing. It's like, you know, someone says, you know, draw up a business plan and you know that business plan is going to be obsolete in 30 days. So same thing with, with the data for, you know, how many phone conversations, how many connects we have to have, how many conversations we have to have with the business decision maker, not just the salon manager manager in this case, you know, and what types of collateral we send as a follow-up, et cetera. You know, definitely attempting to map that, but it changes like the wind. Mm-hmm. So remind us like when and how and to whom money is changing hands at Cheershare. We know you're a marketplace, mm-hmm. but what are some of the details about how that money actually changes hands? Yeah, so the business model is by commission, right? So we have a take rate based on every share share stay. Um, so a stylist will go onto the app, see a salon or barbershop space that they can rent for the day, week, or maybe for a class that they're hosting. They'll pay that rate that they see, and then the host gets a percentage of those funds, and then share share gets a percentage of those funds. Mm-hmm. We've also introduced, uh, I think we mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago, an advertising model so that people who are in the industry and have a professional product that's either going to help our community make more money or save more money, they can actually advertise on the ShareShare platform. So giving them a brand new distribution channel. Um, Also during uh, COVID-19, we opened up the ability for our ShareShare host to um, sell their products that may be on their listing inside of the ShareShare platform. So even though they may have had, you know, 10 of the same stylists booking their salon space in a given week. And because everyone has to shelter at home, they can't do that. But maybe that stylist liked that particular shampoo or it was easier to buy that shampoo from that local salon owner. Then we still allow that to happen to make sure there was some kind of e-commerce trigger that could be pulled for the folks having to stay at home and, and not be able to work. And so those are the the variety of different models that we have on the platform today. For the hosts, it's free to it's free to list your basic listing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right now it's free to list. And we, we did that because, you know, when we first started ShearShare, we, we honestly just got tired of seeing our fellow owners have to shut down because of the immense overhead costs. And then having to try to think about, you know, where am I going to advertise? What's the best pool to fish out of. It was too much hassle for them to try to add one more thing to their plate. And so we said, well, if it was us and it was us, we were just trying to solve our own problem. You know, what would be the most beneficial? How could we really prove that we were trying to make sure everybody wins and kind of establish that trust from day one? And so, yeah, so host Hosts can list their share share spaces for free on the platform. They can join the community at no cost right now. The app is free to download. And we don't get paid until they get paid. And Mm -hmm. so that's why we're really in this thing together. How much sales effort do you have to put into getting new hosts onto the platform? 
You know, that depends. Um, in the very early days, Ty and I would see like a city, you know, kind of bubble up with three or four sign-ons, right? So three mm-hmm. or four new hosts. And we say, okay, well, let's jump on a plane and go meet these people. And so we get there and we go door to door and talk to the different people who had signed up, letting them know, hey, we're just like you. We're from the industry. We're all, you know, trying to make money and feed our families and support our kids just the same as you are. You know, we built this for us, you know, with, with you in mind. And so that really helped because when, when we did that, and again, this industry is people to people oriented, right? So face to face is highly um, invaluable. But once we did that, it was as if we started like these little fires in those particular regions and they would just continue to grow. Like one salon owner would tell five of her friends who were also struggling to fill their seats and a barbershop owner would tell someone or a barber that we had met, you know, in Starbucks would go off and tell someone else. And so it told us that we can never, ever discount the importance of being front and center and showing our faces. It's especially because, you know, there's so many different vendors and products and tools that want a piece of the beauty and barbering industry because it's one of those evergreen industries. Like it's, it's never going away. And for the user, the service provider, the industry professional to see that someone from their community, someone who had to go through cosmetology school and had to go through all the different sanitation um, hours, just like they did, actually created this tool to make sure that we all win. It's, it's been so important. And it's, it's important that people see that you're real. I think yeah. that, you know, if people yeah. can't touch you, they don't feel like you're real. Mm-hmm. If they don't know something like what you're building exists, they can't talk about it with someone else. So to have those touch points to travel and speak to those people, we knew that now we were going to have people speaking about us and marketing us after we left them, because I think it's always good to, again, to keep that person to person contact. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like referrals is also a big part of um, the spread and the marketing of the oh, business. Oh, yes. Yep. Yes, definitely. If, if we think about like offline, it is the Sheer Sheer events that we host. It is the beauty shows and the barber expos that we attend where Ty teaches a class. It could even be a continuing education course where uh, Ty is getting up and, and talking about his background and his history and mentioning Sheer Sheer. Um, it is the one-on-one communications. It's definitely host sharing their referral codes with other stylists and fellow salon and barbershop owners. And then online, I would say the most effective tactic for us, at least from a Legion perspective, has been our website lately. And that's because we relaunched our website in March of this year. And prior to it almost operated as just like a landing page of sorts. So it wasn't a place where you could really come and convert, right? We weren't asking you of anything when you came to the website. And now we're telling you front and center the value that you're getting out of the ShareShare platform. We're encouraging you to access the free downloads. We're giving you and uncovering access to, you know, all the different pieces of content that are going to help you be a smarter business person within this industry. And so um, that's really been eye-opening for us to see that now, you know, upwards of 50% of our conversions are coming from our website when before that number was zero. And in these local communities where people are, are telling each other, do you have the concept of like power users or super hosts? Mm-hmm. And how are you thinking about these people and how they contribute to the business? Well, they, they carry a lot of weight, not just for mm-hmm. just being a super host, but they, they provide an extreme amount of data. Oh, yeah. Uh, they they love our platform and they give a lot of feedback mm-hmm. on the next phases of our growth and anything that we're building. 
I think that to have that trusted source in that super user or that super host is, is majorly important simply because the things that we do within the company is we talk about a lot of things. We want to really hear from those people. We want to really get inside of what is it that you want? Why do you think it is so hard to do this, that, and the other? And once we provide those questions and we really give them the attention that they feel like they need, because if you're building a new company, people just don't want to be given anything. I think that's why people are so intrigued with ShareShare <laughs> because we're a B2B company. We're not a B2C company. So mm-hmm. we can't just always go out there. The consumer is always going to be able to give you feedback. But businesses, you have to really kind of, you know, really weigh in on that and really be prescriptive in how you communicate the information that you're getting and what you're bringing back to the team. Because I may see something one way and my team may gather another. So we make sure we Mm -hmm. report the calls. We make sure we're writing these things down. We make sure we get into a team retreat and we talk about it. So we're being effective in how we're building it. We're being prescriptive in the things that we're putting in place. And we're also looking at the future and making sure that we give them what they want because we can't build something for ourselves. We have to build it for them. Yeah. And those, those super hosts and even the, the super users who are the stylists, you know, when you have someone using your product day in, day out, over and over and over again, plus our industry is extremely vocal. Like you don't have to pull feedback out of them. They will tell you <laughs> and, not, and not be concerned about sharing uh, their thoughts and opinions, which we love. And so, you know, we ask them, you know, what is it that is causing you concern? What is it that would make your lives easier? And our product roadmaps have changed because of that, you know, and change Mm -hmm. on a dime. Like we may have a plan for the next quarter, but because we hear from you know, half of our super host, you know, we're going to, you know, edit that product roadmap and add A, B, and C. Um, and those people actually become a part of our beta test users as well. So they get access to, you know, some of the ideas that we're trying out. Not everything may go live, but they'll, they see that we're at least trying to implement and we hear them loud and clear. And we're trying to implement things that are going to help make their day-to-day lives a lot easier. And what about from a, a revenue perspective? You know, there's the stat that, Across companies, you generally see 80% of revenue coming from 20% Mm. of customers. Mm -hmm. How is that looking for ShearShare? No, I would say that's probably about a 60-40 for us. Mm-hmm. I bet if we had launched like in one city and we were just in New York or we were just in Los Angeles, perhaps that may be a little a little bit different or closer to that 80-20 rule. However, because we serve so many different personalities in so many different geographies within the, the U.S., that number changes. But across the board, like a broad swath, it's, it's definitely more like 60-40. How much of a sort of explicit sales effort do you have to do to get people to book? Or does that happen mostly through marketing and more organic Mm -hmm. channels? Yeah, it's mostly through marketing and organic channels. Mm -hmm. To be honest, we tried our hat at um, having a couple of folks be dedicated to biz dev on the team where it's only sales all the time, right? Like you're literally dialing for dollars 24 hours a day. Well, not 24, eight hours a day. And and we, we haven't figured out what works the best yet. Like that formula is still being kind of fine tuned and, and reformatted and the goals are being recast. But what we know for sure is that once we get someone in through our marketing funnel, they're going to convert. And email marketing is huge for us. Content marketing, we have convinced ourselves through, unfortunately, the COVID-19 months that content marketing is, is big for our users. Before, we didn't put as much effort into content marketing, but then we started to see how people responded to Ty's content. And so again, that kind of proved our own hypothesis around 
down uh, what types of content marketing we need to be doing. Email marketing for us has actually increased 75% since pre-coronavirus averages. That education portal that we mentioned, it's still the second most popular page on our website, and that's after the homepage. And even our conversion rate has gone up at seeing a, a spike in 25 points during the quarantine. So even though we're not spending money on hardcore paid search marketing, you know, we know that people are finding the content to be valuable. We're hitting a real need because stylists are being displaced. And unfortunately, salons and barbershops have had to close down. And so now where do those people go? Because they still have to feed their families. They still have clients to service. And as these states start to reopen, we're there telling them, hey, we're, we're here for you to help you build one day at a time. And marketing is a, the channel that we use to really get that message across. Do the majority of people who are booking a chair, are they are they doing it because, oh, I've got this appointment and I need a place to do it? Or is it more proactive of I'm setting up shop here for these times and, and, my, and I'm telling my clients that I'm there? It's a little bit mm-hmm. of both, but not exactly in, in that sense. People are transient. People know now that there's an opportunity not to have to sign a long-term contract. Mm -hmm. The sweet spots that stylists and barbers are working today is three to four days. And Mm -hmm. so if you sign a contract that is literally a year contract and you're only working three to four days and you're paying for those seven days, those five to seven days that you're working, and you can get a better deal working by the day at a salon that's going to be closer to your client, an environment that's conducive to the client and for yourself, You want to make sure that you are maximizing not just your time, but their time and the locations that they have to travel to. That's going to meet their needs as far as ambiance, professionalism, location, all those things that are in there. So I think the stylists and the users are looking at this from a different perspective. Now, now with COVID-19 being what it has done for this new normal People are wanting to maximize time. Mm-hmm. They want to maximize safety. Mm-hmm. They, they have wanna, to. And, they, and they want to do it in a, in a place that has those things already set up and they can communicate that. And ShareShare is a place we speak. We speak the language. And mm-hmm. so if they have a platform like ours, they can go to. I think that, that that's what's making them utilize it. And the tactics that we're using are second to none. It's not one off. You probably get some people that are doing it on a recurring basis, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. The, the data is, is so wide open. Mm-hmm. Do you track sort of traditional SaaS metrics like lifetime value and that kind of thing? Or do you mm-hmm. avoid that? No, no, we do. But we saw very quickly that we started to fall into the same bucket as Uber did, right? So the more that people use your platform or the more people who find your platform, the more people use it, the more that LTV continues to go up. And so there's there's like not a cap mm-hmm. on the lifetime value of a stylist because they're not going to do hair for 30 days and then stop, right? Like someone could have a gym membership for a month and then cancel it, but stylists aren't going to stop running their businesses after a set number of days. So that number continues to go up. But what has been interesting too is that when we take a look at the average price of a sheer share station or suite, that changes very widely from you know coast to coast, as you can well imagine, right? Mm-hmm. California is going to be more expensive than Texas and um, New York's going to be a lot more expensive than maybe like a Chicago or definitely like an Ohio. And so people are not only choosing to spend their money or, or book sheer share locations based on price, but they're really doing it based on 
the personalities of their clientele. So not only do I have to think about COVID-19 and making sure that this place is clean and uber sanitized and, you know, pristine and perfect, but I'm also thinking about, oh, I know that, you know, Tom likes, you know, a sportier atmosphere, or I know that Ty likes, you know, a more fine men's grooming salon experience. And so this gives them an opportunity to be hyper focused around the customer experience and to make sure that their clients love the experience so much so where it's not just about, oh, my stylist was able to find a spot that was closer to me to make my life easier, but that person truly thought about, you know, what would make me feel comfortable as a stylist. And so I'm easily going to rebook with that person before I check out. And also it gives them a different personality. So sometimes you're introducing that client who likes that sporty atmosphere to a more of a finer man salon ambiance environment. And then you're inviting that person who likes that opposite to find uh, ambiance into a sporty environment because you just never know that particular day what's going on, what sport events are going on, you know how many of their friends want to come and get service. So you want to make sure that you are attracting the masses and you want to be able to do it in different personalities of salons and ambiances so it can fit that client's needs. So when they, when you give them something to test out and try, they can say, okay, well, let's go over downtown this week. Uh, I really like it over there. And you have a bevy of clients that you can bring that to that area. And then the next time you go, you can go outside to the suburban area where those clients want to have a more of a relaxed feel by the lake or wherever it is that that client likes. And now you have a bevy of clients to, that you can service there. So it just gives you a different look and feel. And you can kind of bring that personality because, you know, there are different people with different budgets and you just never know how that client is going to feel being in one environment as, as of the next. Are the hosts setting their own prices? Mm-hmm. They are setting their prices with a little help from us, right? Because they have never before had to think about offering a day rate. So they don't they don't come to the table with, oh, yeah, my rate is $25. Like they have to think about and we help them uh, truly consider and break down what that means for their business, what they would be willing to make on that empty chair and how they would be able to cover their costs as well. And, and really would, would just make sense for them. Some people have gone through like a completely new remodel. Like a lot of our salon hosts who were able to continue to stay open during the pandemic actually had spent that time, you know, redoing their salon suites or repainting walls, definitely moving furniture out of the way because of the social distancing mandates um, and just prepping their space to be even better, not just to adhere to the specific state guidelines. Uh, But because of that, you know, you may want to charge more because you're getting a fresh coat of paint or you have the latest and greatest chairs or your wash bowls are completely Mm. different and up to date. And so people do take a look at the various uh, amenities and they they choose to price their spaces that way. In the future, though, we will be offering you know some type of machine learning so that based on the day and um, if anything's going on in that particular part of the, the country, you know, you'll be able to get a, a note from the app that says, hey, have you thought about, you know, increasing your price five dollars over the weekend because of you know, Emmys are coming to town or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? It could be South by Southwest in Austin. And so we've been watching the various levers and seeing how that would work. But right now, the hosts really appreciate how they can, you know, go into the app right now and change their price five times before three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> and it all depends on, you know, if someone bites. You said it varies, you know, based on different places mm-hmm. in the country, but can you give us an idea of like, what sort of general price range are we talking about for 
a day mm-hmm. rate or hour? Is it hourly or or always by the day? Daily. It's daily. Mm-hmm. It's daily. Hourly can be hourly can be a, a bit of a yeah. logistical uh, nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, logistical you can nightmare. imagine for right. host. Um, <laughs> so it can range yeah. anywhere from twenty five dollars all the way up to one of our Naha hosts, very exquisite salon where they have nothing they they have commercials done there are so many different celebrities theirs is like 538 a day so mm-hmm. from 25 to uh 540 dollars and then you have that sweet spot where people like to rent anywhere from 65 to 150 yeah the the average price on the sheer share platform whether it be sweet or station prior to COVID 19 was around 90 96 dollars a day now what people are choosing to spend on the sheer share platform is around 70 to 75 dollars a day mm-hmm. so still continuing to get access to professional sanitized friendly workspaces but paying less for that I wanted to circle back to, you mentioned launching other revenue generating, basically features within mm-hmm. in the app, advertising mm-hmm. and e-commerce. Mm-hmm. How are those going? Uh, we've just started that during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One of our first um, hosts to jump on board is actually Kim Kimball, who's Beyonce's hairstylist. She's a phenomenal asset. And she said, yeah, you know, I have a professional product that, you know, I sell to stylists. I definitely want in on this. We're getting inbound now from different vendors who have been halted, right? Because no one's going around selling door to door to salons during the pandemic. And so how are they expected to make money to make sure that those people People, those clients of the product distributors are not jumping on board and going to maybe like an Amazon.com or something. How can we better help them to keep that currency within the industry? And so that's been another um, interesting set of conversations that we've been having. And then to think about all the indie brands who you know don't have shelf space at Target, right? Or can't get into a Sally's or even their local beauty store, but they have a phenomenal product that maybe has garnered some mass attention in their local region region, why not be able to sell that and show that to more eyeballs, again, to a professional, as long as it helps someone on our platform make more money or helps someone on our platform save more money. So initial indicators are extremely positive. And it seems like, based on the way you're talking about it, I assume this is something that isn't just a pandemic thing. You you Uh -uh. hope that you're going to continue it. Oh, we will for sure. Yeah. This is a question that Ty and I kept racking our brains over, you know, March-ish timeframe and talking with different hosts and having our customer support team interview different stylists and different members of the ShareShare community and say, you know, how can we help you? And they said, hey, if this ever happens again, I need something that's going to be kind of working on its own in the background so that I don't have to get my two hands dirty every day, you know, whether it be in hair color or hair cutting, um, but that still is able to provide money for my family. So whatever you guys can think of that will help me do that, do that. And so, yeah, this is definitely not something that's going away because salons and barbershops are opening back up. It actually gives them a bigger and newer distribution channel to meet their fellow stylists where they already are. I think when I first talked to y'all and was thinking about Sheer Share, Mm -hmm. it seemed more in the arena of opportunity for people to be generating new ways to earn money, whether they were Mm. renting their seat or they were having that opportunity to spend the day at a salon without investing in the salon. Mm -hmm. And now that we've been fully immersed in in this pandemic, this whole other side emerges, which, and we talked about this even the, the last time we checked in with you all, which is 
providing an immense amount of security and helping people feel like they've got options in a world where a lot of those options are are quickly disappearing. Yes. You know, there's, there've been a lot of surveys around and we're actually coming out with the report um, because we've asked tons of questions to our community during this time about how comfortable they feel with coming back at it. And when their state reopens, are they going to jump out that same day? Are they going to wait a couple of weeks? And, you know, upwards of 65% of our jobs were lost um, due to COVID. Uh, However, when you think about the recession that was, what, between 2008, 2009, we lost about 1.6 million jobs between like January 2000 and March 2011. But the number of hair salons that opened increased by 8%. So, I mean, that just shows you, again, how much rebound ability this industry has. And so we know that, again, we're going to see, we, we've seen a decrease, and hopefully that decrease has hit rock bottom for hairstylists and barbers and nail techs and makeup artists around the U.S., but we're going to come back even stronger. We expect that rebound to be even more so than it was during the Great Recession. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's all based on uh, sheer precautions and some fear. Uh, the adaptability to who we are as artists and individuals will be uh, surpassed what people think and there will be businesses coming. Uh, business will be closed, but more business will open. Mm-hmm. And as the new normal and adaptation of what the pandemic has brought to us, we will understand what the people's needs are. I think, honestly, there's so much good going to come out of this pandemic for our industry, especially when we were considered non-essential, when we know what we bring to everyday people's lives, feeling good, looking good. And so I think that the numbers that Courtney just spilled out is not only, you know, immensely important, but also they're going to continuously grow. Mm-hmm. Even the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that our industry is going faster than the average for all occupations. Now, you know, that was before the pandemic hit, right? But what we're seeing is that this rising generation, especially this rising generation, they're saying, oh, uh-uh, I don't want my destiny to be tied to something or someone that I can't control, right? So if I'm working full-time perhaps for a salon and this goes down and a salon owner gets to choose whether or not I have mm-hmm. a job or whether I have to file for unemployment benefits, you know, I don't want to be able to put that great decision into the hands of someone else. And so because of all the resources that are out there now on how to be a smarter business person, how to go about being successful as a solopreneur, they already have access to platforms like an Instagram and even Snapchats and uh, the Facebooks of the world. They know how to market themselves and they're learning every day how to better market themselves. They're saying, I want to be my own success. And I, I, if I'm going to bet on anybody, especially after this pandemic clears up, I'm going to bet on myself. And so, yeah, SureShare gives them plenty of options to be the best and smartest business person that they can be while still servicing their clients in, again, a safe, professional, very sanitized location. So we always like to check in with, you know, what's changed since last time we talked to you. And I think since the last time we've talked We're starting to see states reopen. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in terms of sheer share use? Yeah, we've been very happy and 
very conscious <laughs> about having those states reopen and how we can support our shear shares during this still very sensitive time, right? But positive indicators um, are up and to the right. E- even in states where shear share didn't have a lot of activity prior to COVID-19, we're starting to see that. So out of all the states that are open or have started to reopen now in phases, shear share has been reactivated in almost half of those. And these are people who are starting to book two to three times a week. So you see some people step out in week one and booked once to see, how am I going to like this? Are my clients And that's happening be- already right now. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, happening yeah. right now. Yes. yes and it, and it right just now. didn't start. It just didn't start when states reopened. We were already doing all the work and, and providing information, mm-hmm. giving the steps that w- it would take. So, yes. you know, to customers that were going in the shops, they were probably a little leery and a little apprehensive. But once the states opened up and, and they started giving their guidelines, we were already pretty much ahead, you know, mm-hmm. other than the OSHA guidelines. But the CDC guidelines, we were already knowing. We were talking to the states that opened first, and we mm-hmm. kind of trickled down, and we kind of knew how things were going. So the fear has subsided a little bit, I think, with the stylists because they were already hungry and ready to get back to work and mm-hmm. passionate about getting back to work. So I think that once they started seeing the trickle-down effect from that first state, people were ready. I think those saturated areas like the New Yorks, like the Philadelphia's, like the LA's, where it's just so much saturated, even Dallas for a minute, you know, the people had to be a little bit leery because they didn't want just a, a mass movement of people that could just actually spread that disease even more. That's true. Yeah, it ties right. We, we did a lot of work, you know, within that education piece, right? Going back to the content marketing within the sales funnel. And so by the time states were open, we had already shared with our share share community places where they can uh, pick up affordable PPE in their region, giving them places where there are mobile testing centers or drive-through testing centers for COVID-19 if something came up, not just for themselves and their family members, but for clients, provide for them a template for a client to sign a statement of health, which we've seen people use um, several times on social media and reposting how grateful they are for us to providing stuff like that. And even like a care strategy, like what things to think about truly think about it, consider before you go at it and start reopening your businesses. And so it wasn't as if the governor of a particular state said, all right, Friday is the open date. Good luck. Go at it. And they had no bearing on what to expect or how to think about reopening and returning back to whatever normal it is today. But they were they had a lot of tools in their arsenal to say, OK, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to try my hat at doing. I'm going to go with the guidance and add 15 minutes per appointment time to make sure that I'm able to spend that additional time sanitizing. I'm going to make sure I'm showing my client what I'm doing. I'm going to have my client stay outside in the car. I'm only going to do one-on-ones. It's not going to be a salon full of people in the waiting area. I'm going to be very cognizant about servicing clients who are of a particular age or maybe who had an immuno disorder that would have them not be safe when it comes to uh, being exposed to COVID-19. And so they they already thought a lot and had a lot of time on their hands because we're all at home reading all this information that we had been putting out. And so we weren't surprised to see that the day Georgia opened, we had, you know, sheer share bookings. We weren't surprised that the day the state of Ohio opened, we had sheer share bookings. We weren't surprised that when Texas governor said, hey, you know, salons and barbershops can start operating on a limited basis, we weren't surprised to see that um, our sheer share family knew that they could go ahead and book and start seeing their clients safely. One of the neat things about this is, you know, I I feel like we've listened along on the journey so far and heard in one of our first conversations 
you know, we're, we're providing content and it wasn't about this at all, but like providing content that empowers your customers to run better Mm -hmm. businesses or to succeed in their business. And this is like the ultimate example of how you can do that. And then people will book through you. People will use you because they're a trusted partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are in this with them together. You know, we, our success is their success and vice versa. And we would not be doing what we do today if Ty or I were not passionate, like super passionate about what we do. Like we didn't just get into this to build an app. Like who just wakes up and says, I just want to <laughs> build an app one day. I mean, I guess some people do. But that, that was <laughs> I not, think Chad yeah. does. Okay, well, maybe Chad. Maybe no, but your point, is, your point is valid in that it sort of goes back to how we started the conversation. Like building businesses is hard and it requires mm-hmm. you to grind, you know, every day and face each day excited and that kind of thing and be able to do it over the long term. And if you don't love what you're doing, yes. if you're not excited about it, if you don't care about it, Mm-mm. it's going to be really difficult to do that over the long term. It's so true because we mm-hmm. see so many people that think that they can just do what we do. And we, <laughs> we know the work that we know the work that we have to put into it. And then, you know, it's so funny, you know, I've, I've spoken with people that have started businesses and they say stuff like, you know, yeah, we like what you're doing. We would love to integrate. That's another way of saying we don't want to work as hard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing a lot of work and we're collecting a lot of data. So, you know, at the end of the day, the money is, is important, but the work you're putting in will supersede that money because it takes a lot of time, energy to collect that data, to put in that work. And sometimes it gets to be an emotional part of who you are because mm-hmm. you're so passionate about it. Yeah, that's a really good point, babe. I, I would even say that you know the best advice we give people when other founders come to us or even other stylists come to us and they're like, how do you set up shop in a place that has other, like lots of stylists in it? You know, lots of other people are doing what I'm doing. And we say the best thing we can tell you is let your competition raise the baby. And what that means is everybody loves it when it's all cute and cuddly and it has that baby smell, but nobody likes it when you have to get up in the middle of the night and feed the baby every two hours or they're throwing up on you or they have diarrhea, you know, sorry for that kind of (laughs) visual, but that's not all the cute parts. Like you really have to be intentional. And I I wish there was another word besides passionate that I can use that really explained like the feeling that Ty and I have for this industry, but to be able to get through all of that muck, like we've seen a lot of competitors even come in for sheer share and then die because, and we know the reasons why there are varied reasons, but we definitely know the reasons why they didn't want to raise the baby. They couldn't raise the baby. They didn't know how to raise the baby. They didn't love the baby as much as we love the baby. Well, it's just because y'all are making it look too easy, I guess. (laughs) I guess so. I do always tell my husband he makes things look really easy. (laughs) Well, if folks want to check out some of that uh, content you're putting out or follow along with Shearshare, where's the best place Mm -hmm. to do that? They can go to Shearshare.com slash build my business. And yes, it's geared towards stylists, but there's a lot of information on there um, for entrepreneurs in general that you could learn from. And then follow the journey along at our Instagram, just at Shearshare. Uh, And Ty's Instagram is Dr. Ty Caldwell, D-R-T-Y-E. C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. He gives tons of wisdom and always shares tips, you know, because he's lived through a few pandemics and Y2K and Ebola and all that fun stuff. And he's still here standing and smiling. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments for us or for Ty and Courtney, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. 
You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.